announcement on the front of your bulletin, you'll see that we're starting a new series this morning, and by the time we're done this morning, you should know quite a bit about what we'll be discussing for the next four weeks. Uh, we've got a message series that I think is important to the church in all ages, and especially today, uh, considering some of the opportunities that our congregation has and the state of the church in the world, there is a great, uh, couple great reasons for us to talk again about biblical hospitality and about making room in our lives for each other and for others. And I wanted to point out uh, right here on the bottom of the front page of your bulletin, it says that we've got these slides. Every week for you, we've got the sermon slides on our church blog. So if you uh, miss something when you're taking notes or if you happen to miss a week, it's, we always try to make it as easy as we can for you to go back and hear the audio. Uh, there's several ways to do that, the website, the blog, a, a podcast that we have that has the sermon audio, but also the slides are there on our blog so you can actually see them and you can uh, follow along while you listen if that's something you like to do. So uh, we hope that that's a help to you. I will also say, uh, and then we'll dive into our message, reading the Old Testament uh, is much more of a commitment than reading the New Testament, uh, especially whenever it's broken into pieces for six months. I started the reading last week. Uh, it takes a lot more of my time than reading the New Testament did, but I've found this beautiful way to do it. I'm listening to the audio on my YouVersion app, and so on my drive to the church in the morning, I usually get about three chapters in my drive home, I finish it, and so I've been able to listen to Genesis this last week, and it's been a great experience. So if you have any desire to do that, uh, maybe listening to it is a great way for you, and we've got these uh, plans provided in each of the foyers for you. Would you bow with me uh, for a word of prayer, and then we will uh, begin today's message. Father, we are grateful that you've brought us together we're thankful to be in your presence in worship. We're grateful for the beautiful singing this morning. Uh, we pray that it was worship to you, but also we enjoyed the benefit of being part of worshiping together. And now as we worship in a different way uh, with our hearts and our minds in Scripture, we pray that you would be present among us still, that you would enlighten our hearts, that you would open our minds uh, to these important things that come out of your word. And we pray that in our church you would give us a continuation of the unity that we enjoy, of the spirit of love and of honor that we're celebrating. And we pray that uh, you would use this church in Bentonville, humble as we are, uh, human as we are, uh, just people like everyone else as we are, and yet your redeemed people. We pray that you would use this church in Bentonville to bless Northwest Arkansas, to spread the gospel of, of grace, and to make your name known throughout our area. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things, and all who agree say, amen. Okay, uh, so let's begin our new series called Making Room, Making Room. Uh, as we get started, I'll, I'll tell you that there have been a few times in my life that I have experienced the blessing of hospitality, uh, and it's almost always been from within the church uh, maybe in part that's because I was raised going to church uh, and you know, went to Harding and there are wonderful people in Searcy who show hospitality to students at Harding. And while I was at Harding, God changed my life, irrevocably sent me down a new road uh, whenever I experienced the call into ministry. And I never had thought about um, God calling me into ministry 
where I should say the only times I had thought about it, I had sworn that I would never be a preacher and I would never be a minister. So God moves in mysterious ways. Amen, church. Amen. And so after um, I decided to do a Bible degree, still not thinking I would go into the ministry, I found out in the small print that I had to do a summer internship to fulfill the requirements for the program. And so in the summer of 2004, I ended up in Bentonville, right here, doing a youth internship. Had, had not been raised in a youth group, knew nothing about how to run a youth ministry. I mean, I was as raw of a recruit as they come, and I was getting shaped and formed right here by the ministers and elders at this church. And Paul and June Carter extended hospitality to myself and to the two other interns that summer. We had a preaching intern once. And uh, the three of us lived in a home that they owned that they allowed us to use for the course of the summer. And we had free range of the place. Uh, I'm telling you, three college guys, we lived it up. I mean, it was fun. We had, we had in this house two different living rooms. I mean, we could literally have, and this is, you know, this is right before streaming and all that really started, but we could have you know, a VHS movie going in that room, and if the other guys didn't like it, they had their own TV in the other area where they could watch one. I mean, we were enjoying hospitality, and we just thought that was the greatest. And the next summer, I came back for a second time, and, and they told me, the youth minister told me, well, this, this year you're going to stay with a family. And okay, who am I going to stay with? And he said, well, it's going to be Roger and Marilyn McMenemy. And, you know, I didn't know Roger and Marilyn super well after just one summer. Most of you know them pretty well. They were, he was a shepherd here for years, and they still come and visit often. They're wonderful people. But Roger, in shepherd's meetings, always looked fairly stern. I mean, his face, you know, he just kind of wore a little bit of a natural grimace in the meeting. And I thought, he's a tough guy. And I thought, what am I gonna, how am I going to survive living with them for the summer? And it turns out they extended wonderful hospitality. They are both extremely generous and loving people. And so there was this funny little series of incidents that happened between Roger and I. Roger is a lifelong Texan and Dallas Cowboy fan. And I grew up in central Pennsylvania where the Cowboys are the enemies and the Pittsburgh Steelers are the whole world. And if any of you know anything about sports, you, you may know and understand a little bit of this rivalry between the Cowboys and the Steelers because of the Super Bowls they've played together. In fact, as a young boy, I wept when the Cowboys defeated the Steelers in the Super Bowl. I actually wept tears because they beat us, and so they were enemies. And I'm at Roger's house, and at the end of this summer, he gives me a gift, precious to him, uh, and he gives me this gift uh, partly because he knows what it will do to me. And it is a cup, a plastic cup, with Dallas Cowboys greats all around the cup. And uh, across the top, in a Sharpie, in his own hand, he, he inscribed, to the number one Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> and he gave me that gift. So a couple of years later, I had the opportunity to return the favor and for his birthday one year, I gave him a Pittsburgh Steelers care package. He even wore the bracelet for about two minutes. <laughs> and so through hospitality, we grew together in a way that we could have never done if I would have only known the elders meeting version of Roger. Now, he wasn't mean or heavy-handed in those meetings. I just didn't know him, and I got to know him uh, through this time living with them. So today we're going to try to look at 
a survey of the New Testament and find out how can we learn more about hospitality? How can we, uh, as individuals and as a church, get better in this? And so we're going to do this through three questions today. And the first two we'll handle at once, and that's these questions. What is it? What is biblical hospitality, and who should get it? So what is it, and who should we give it to, or who should get biblical hospitality? And we're going to cover those through a couple of passages, and then we'll end by answering this third question, which is who should give it? Who should be the ones who extend biblical hospitality? And through this, we'll, we'll have a beginning then, we'll have a survey of the New Testament, and throughout the month, we'll go uh, deeper into some applications. So open up in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And verse 9, which Stephen read for us just a little while ago. And we'll begin there, and then we'll launch through a variety of texts. 1 Peter 4, 9 reads this way. Show hospitality to one another. Very simple and straightforward. This is the first half of the verse. Show hospitality to one another. And if you're taking notes in your bulletin, this would be a good time for you to start filling in those blanks and... Uh, and following along right there on the back page. So show hospitality to one another. Uh, Now this verse is not the only place in the New Testament that talks about hospitality and that talks about uh, uh, what it is. And so we also have um, some others we'll look at this morning. Romans 12, 13 is another good example. And we'll come back to 1 Peter in just a moment. Romans 12, 13 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And so in answering our our first two questions, and especially who should get it, who needs to receive hospitality, we've already seen in these two passages an emphasis that this is something we should do for each other, for those in the church. There should be a degree uh, to which those stories of Rogers and Marilyn's hosting young Josh Bundy's Church members serving church members should occur. It is a biblical New Testament way for us to extend hospitality, contribute to the needs of the saints. Uh, This word is a fascinating word. Maybe you've heard of some of other Greek compound words that you're already familiar with. Here's a good example. You probably know that the name of the city, Philadelphia, is a Greek compound word. It comes from... uh, uh, the word for love and the word for brother, okay? So philos and adelphos. And you put them together and you get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Well, hospitality is a compound word like this in the Greek. And so here in front of you, you've got the two pieces. And the reason I want you to see them, and in this case it's philos and xenos, and they come together and they make one word that means hospitality, philos and xenos, is because this is what they mean quite literally, The word means love of strangers, love of strangers. Now, xenos uh, is probably not a word that you would know on its own, but you know uh, cognate words, related words to it, like xenophobia, which means a fear of strangers or a fear of outsiders. That word is one that's important in our context today because of all of the ways the world has been flattened the way that terrorism has crept even into our own country, the way that we struggle to keep borders and understand who should cross them and what privileges should they receive. And so this topic of how do we treat strangers is a very important topic 
in our world today. And it's rooted in this New Testament word, hospitality. So, back to 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Let's read the rest of the verse. Uh, Show hospitality to one another. And so in this context, we're talking about the church. But strangely enough, the word means show hospitality to strangers or show a love of strangers to each other uh, without grumbling. So let's break this down into its pieces a little bit uh, and try to open up this verse and then we'll move back to some other text. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Here's another piece of this verse you might want to know about. Uh, The word grumbling in the Greek is also an interesting word. Uh, It's this word gongusmos. Everybody say it just because it's fun, gongusmos. Gongusmos. Okay, good. Wasn't that fun, right? You've learned a Greek word. And so this word gongusmos means this. It means behind the scenes talk. And so when the author says uh, we don't want to be grumbling in our hospitality, he means this scenario. We don't want to be offering a kind of hospitality that on the surface appears to be genuine, wholehearted, and done with kindness and grace and liberty, and yet behind the scenes is actually full of muttering and grumbling and behind-the-scenes talk and this hidden, secret miserliness where we don't really want to share. Uh, Maybe this brings to mind some other New Testament passages about giving, that giving should be done with a cheerful heart. And the same is true of hospitality. Hospitality only really does its work for the church. It only really accomplishes something in the kingdom when it is done without behind-the-scenes talk. Open hospitality can be negated by hidden miserliness. And so we have to be careful and guard our own hearts and ask, do I mean to extend this to someone? Do I really want to welcome them? And so as we consider, uh, again, this verse, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, here's how the pieces are coming together so far. The word is rooted in kindness towards strangers or towards those who aren't like us in some way, and yet we're encouraged, at least in this passage, to show that kind of kindness to each other in the church without any behind-the-scenes talk or muttering or miserliness or regret. Let's move forward now to Hebrews chapter 13 where there's another important passage that builds on this New Testament concept. Uh, the, the words read this way. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality. Okay, so again, remember that you need to show this. Do not neglect to show hospitality. But in Hebrews 13, uh, in your Bibles, it says to strangers. And so now we're, getting it, we're moving into a different recipient. Now, this is the people who you don't know. They actually are strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And the funny thing here is that we understand that it means strangers because of context. The words to strangers are not actually in the text. We rely on understanding that the word means love of strangers. And then this contextual clue from the end of the verse. For thereby... Some have entertained angels unawares. And so we understand that the people in this verse, in this context, are people that you do not know because 
Some people, mysteriously, the author of Hebrews says, and we don't know how this happens, we don't know how often it happens, we don't know when it happens, but God has said through the writer of Hebrews that sometimes when people extend hospitality, it's actually a messenger of God, an angel of God, to whom they have given this hospitality, and they were not aware that it happened. Maybe a biblical example of this would have been when Abraham extended hospitality to the three men under the tree of Mamre. And at first he does not know that this is actually the Lord and two of his angels. And only later does he fully realize who it was that he had served that day. And so from the context here we learn that sometimes it is a person we do not know someone we don't know well, and our calling as a Christian is to extend to them the same kind of love, the same kind of hospitality as we would to someone whom we know, with whom we're familiar. Okay, so uh, this passage, and we'll move into our next question after this, but it reflects a few scriptures that we don't have time for today, but we're going to cover in upcoming messages, because the people of God had this understanding from Leviticus 19 where they were told that you are to treat strangers who come into the land of Israel, sojourners who come into your land and stay a while in your country with the same kind of love and treatment as you would a fellow citizen of Israel. And we're going to look at that in one of the weeks to come. And also Jesus makes it very clear in Luke 14 that sometimes our hospitality goes to people that we don't know well when he said, don't throw parties for each other. Throw it for the strangers and the people who can't return anything to you. They can't do it back for you because that's how you gain a heavenly reward when you give and when you feed people who can't do anything back for you. They are not of the same social status as you. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, when I stayed in the home of Paul and June, or when I stayed in the home of Roger and Marilyn, I was not, and I'm still not now, at the same level in any way as those men and their families. You know, these are men who were CFOs of major corporations, CEOs of their own companies. They've made a lot more money than I'll probably ever make. They have friends in, in high and powerful places, and yet they were willing to show love to someone who's just a college student, someone who doesn't have anything else to offer in return. One other time in 2006, I experienced the hospitality for a summer in Atlanta from a family that was worth more than $60 million. And they had had great success in business. And why were they willing you know, to, to host me? It was not because I could offer them anything. It was actually in spite of that. I received hospitality precisely because of my low status and because I couldn't provide or give that they wanted to extend generously to me. And this is the heart that we should have. And so, uh, in our last few minutes, we're going to look at a few examples of who should give it. And I think you're already getting a hint that who should give it should be the people of God, but specifically uh, why and, and how do we know this. So, in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, we have two very famous passages where we have lists of qualifications for eldership in the church. And this is fascinating because when you read the requirements for a deacon, a servant in the church, you don't have any uh, requirement that they show hospitality. 
The idea might be that sometimes the elders uh, in, the, in the early church would have been hosting the churches or would have had more to provide, and maybe some uh, of the deacons would not have had so much to provide, and so it's not a qualification in the list of deacons. But look at these two verses. First Timothy 3 says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable, and able to teach. Why is hospitality in the requirements for being an elder or an overseer? Because if we're led by people who don't have generous hearts, we'll be a church who doesn't have a generous heart. And so God's church was led by a shepherd, Jesus, who had the most generous heart of all. And he needs his shepherds also to show generosity in a variety of ways. It will not always happen in the same way. In other words, we don't expect every shepherd to host an intern in their home. It happens in so many varieties of ways. And yet, it's important that leaders in the church show this quality. Also, Titus 1, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, uh, and he must be hospitable. And in this verse, it is so interesting that Paul said, the overseer is a steward of God. Because this word means someone who manages a home and might have control over what's in the storeroom. And every storeroom could have a lock on it with keys. And it could be held safe in this strong room for the use of the family and the people who own it. In fact, don't we all put some locks on our homes because we don't want to have things stolen from us. And yet, in this passage, God says that the elder in the church is a steward who opens that closet and gives good gifts out to those who need it. In 1 Peter uh, 4, 9, and 10, which is where we started this morning, we see another clue that stewardship, being willing to unlock what is yours and what is private and what by rights belongs to you, and graciously giving it to others is, is, the, is the context in which hospitality happens because... The very next verse in 1 Peter 4 reads this way. As each has received his gift, a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so all of us have the opportunity to learn this uh, manager of the house stewardship approach to hospitality. It's a requirement for those who lead in the church. But for all of us, we have an opportunity to learn this grace of giving what doesn't need to be given. And so in, uh, in Titus 1, um, we see that verse. Okay, so here's what we've learned so far. And I know that today we can't go through all of the applications of this, but, but we need some principles that will drive us forward in the next few weeks. As our maturity in Christ grows, as you and I grow towards whatever leadership God has called us to, our capacity for hospitality will also grow. As we learn to do what 1 Peter 4, 9, and 10 says, we will become more and more capable and more generous as we give to both those that we know and those we don't know. You could put it in these words. As we mature, as all of us, you and I mature, we dispense grace with greater liberty. We begin to give more freely and learn how to love those who are least like ourselves. We learn a grace of God in which the gospel is revealed. 
because God loved us while we were still sinners. Amen, church? God gave us forgiveness and redemption while we were still strangers and foreigners. Ephesians 2 says that we who are Gentiles, we were far from God and we were strangers to the covenant. And yet he extends to us hospitality, loving acceptance. As we finish this morning, I'm going to read to us from the book of 3 John. And a fascinating thing about this little short letter is that along with 2 John, 3 John, uh, these are the only two letters in the New Testament that are solely about hospitality. Both of them were written solely to express what good hospitality and poor hospitality would look like in the early church. And so I've got for you here uh, the entire book of 3 John. But don't worry, it's only 12 verses. It'll actually move pretty quickly. Let's read it together. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So this is the address of the letter to this man named, uh, named Gaius. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. This is just a polite greeting. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And as of right now, we don't know what the truth is, but something that he's doing that's right. As indeed you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Three times truth is repeated to say what you're doing is right. And what is Gaius doing? Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Look at how both of those ideas have come together in this one verse. They are brothers in the Lord, and so they're close to you in one sense, and yet they're strangers to you. They're probably itinerant preachers. They're mission workers. Uh, these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. In other words, show hospitality to them as they leave, just as you did when they arrived. For they've gone out for the sake of the name. These are workers who care about the mission of God, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, there's a brief warning. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself for, first, does not acknowledge our authority. And what is Diotrephes doing? So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, uh, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He doesn't show hospitality. And also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. In other words, follow men like Demetrius and Gaius who follow these instructions. I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. And what do you suppose would happen when we meet face to face? From John the author to this Gaius who's a host, I bet when they meet face to face, Gaius will show great hospitality. 
peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. And we do not know whether this man is the same man who's mentioned throughout the rest of the New Testament because there's at least four different people that could potentially be the same Gaius or different men. It's a very common name at that time in the world. But in Romans 16, we read this about a man who's also named Gaius. It says, he is the host to me, Paul, and to the whole church, and he greets you to the church in Rome. This name, one man or two men, it doesn't really matter, is associated in the New Testament with radical hospitality, with someone who hosts the church and who shows kindness to those missions workers that are going around the world. And in each place, this person or people receives great praise from the apostolic writers. So much so that when um, Pilgrim's Progress was written, that famous work by, by Bunyan, he chose the name of the innkeeper who cares for people as they come out of the shadow of the valley of death. And he gave the name Gaius to the innkeeper in order to say, those who show hospitality like this fulfill the New Testament mandate. And you and I can do it too, brothers and sisters. Today, if we can show any hospitality to you, if you want to come to know the Lord, to be baptized and received by God, if we can pray with you or in any other way welcome you, our shepherds would love to do so. Some of them will be down front and some in the back.